You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we do part three, that's right, count them three, of our J.R.R. Tolkien themed episodes. So, yeah, uh, we finally made it to the end. I'd like to say that the best is yet to come, but you'll have to be the judge of that. My only disappointment with this, because it did take it quite a while to get out there and to get produced, is that the Tolkien movie that was made by Fox came and went, and we didn't have a chance to discuss that because we recorded before that movie even came out. I enjoyed it. I wish that they had had more of Tolkien's life in there. It definitely sides on the aspect that Tolkien was sort of inspired to write Lord of the Rings by his experiences in World War One, but it wasn't super heavy-handed about that, and even Tolkien himself said that you can't, you know, separate your life experiences from what you write about, so even though it wasn't meant to be a direct allegory for World War One, you know, some of the influences of his experiences there probably did get into the book itself, but yeah. So this time we are going to have an outro at the end, so it'll be more like a traditional episode in that regard, because everybody, of course, is going to sign off. So with that, I am going to sign out, because with this being part three, there doesn't need to be that much of an intro. But before we go into the podcast already in progress, we will pause for a promo from another fine podcast. Look, we know it's a long time till Doctor Who comes back on the air. Sorry. But your friends here at the Earth Station Who podcast are here to help. That's right. Mike, Mike, and Mary will be your guide through this wilderness year with reviews of classic stories, audios, and even some group discussions featuring some special guests. Join us for new episodes every other week up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are found. The Earth Station Who podcast, exploring over 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. Lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolly toes. He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him. Bilbo, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. So, uh, speaking of the hobbit, how. <laughs> I definitely thought that three movies was a bit much. I could see two. I, in fact, thought that Lord of the Rings should have been two movies, you know, six movies total. Probably would have done that story justice. The Hobbit's a bit lighter fare, though, but when they announced three movies, I thought that is an insane amount to cover that book. And having seen the movies, it did not change my opinion at all. So what did you guys think about that? I was actually okay with the three movies, especially because a lot of what they added in didn't come from nowhere. There were parts that were just taken in from some of the appendices and some parts that were taken from the Silmarillion. My biggest problem was adding in the stupid love triangle. It totally took away from either Feely or Achilles or maybe both of their deaths. Because mm-hmm. really, it was supposed to be a brotherly death in the original story and now they threw in this random elf that her role itself wasn't bad being added in but it was when she started in that odd love triangle with legolas and with was it feely or was it keely god damn it i can't remember i can't tell them apart (laughs) keely yep okay 
that just kind of really, it, it made his death much less impactful. And I don't know, that was my biggest gripe with the change that was made to the story. Well, that was a definite nod, though, due to diversification. It's let's add a prominent oh, yeah. female character because there isn't there isn't one in The Hobbit. You know, at least you have Eowyn in Lord of the Rings. I have no problem with Legolas randomly appearing in there because, as I already said, we know his father is the King of Mirkwood. Where do the the dwarves and Bilbo go? Mirkwood. Well, right. No, that made perfect appropriate sense. Appropriate that you know, even though this is like what seventy years before the ho- or before the Lord of the Rings, he's an elf. Of course, he's around. Mm-hmm. I had zero problem with adding him. A lot of the side stories we saw with Gandalf did come from the appendices and from the Silmalarian. It was kind of neat seeing them planning how to deal with the necromancer. See, I disagree even with that, though. I feel like there's a reason why Tolkien didn't actually write that out, is that it wasn't all that interesting. That felt like filler to me. I actually thought that part was interesting myself. Because I remember when I first read The Hobbit and Gandalf mentions something about the necromancer, I always wanted to know more about it. Right. So I personally felt vindicated by the fact that they did add that in. Seriously, my biggest complaint with the movies was adding in, I can't even remember her name, but she wasn't a bad character. It was just they gave her a poor role. Yeah. So I'm kind of on board with... Stephanie here. I actually didn't mind that they were like, we're going to do three movies. I'm a business person. I get that they were going to do three movies to make the most money. I'm fine mm. with that. I, I realize that. I was just mostly worried about how they would get that those three movies out. I don't feel that they did a terrible job with it. At least they pu- actually like tried to pull, like you're saying, from the Silmarillion and a bunch of other of his notes and stuff like that. That's great, but <sighs> I still got to get on board with this whole thing with with the the female elf like i if she had to be put in there i really wish it could have been done differently well yeah why does she have to be a love interest yes jackson didn't want it to originally love interest it was something that the studio kind of pushed on him but that could just be a rumor i heard that was trying to justify it well and it's ironic too right when most people who want more female characters in in movies nowadays don't want them to be like a love interest they just want them to be who they are yeah right that was her whole character was defined by the fact that legolas was in love with her but she was in love with feeling yeah. You know, I mean, that was all that the character was. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Angie, what did you think about <laughs> the length? I read, and I don't know how true this is, but I read that when Peter, Jacks- Peter Jackson split it into three instead of two to buy more time at one point. Because correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Guillermo del Toro involved at some point? Yes. Yes. And he walked away, and so Peter Jackson got it, and the timeline was so tight, he basically pitched splitting it into three movies instead to buy himself some more time. Mm. That would kind so of make sense. If that yeah. is true, I probably have been way too harsh in my judgment of these films. <laughs> um, and I feel a bit guilty about it, but um, I feel like the timing was off, I feel like the tone was off, um, and inconsistent for all three films. I hated the love triangle I wouldn't have minded Keely having a crush on her. I wouldn't have even, you know, I wouldn't have even minded having the, you know, the same story with Toriel and Legolas, even though I thought it ate some time, it didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but just spending so much of the final movie talking about our feels and. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't. I couldn't. Also, I just, I looked up her name. It's Toriel. Since none of us could remember, obviously that has a severe indication on how important she was. <laughs> right. All we can remember is that she ruined Legolas and Feely or Keely. Right. Keely. It's Keely. Keely. Okay. Oh, I got a good way to remember it. Feely and his feels. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, the tone co- the tone comment is a, is a particularly good one because they tried their hardest to take what was a children's story about these fun little hobbits, or ho- hobbit and dwarves, these fun little characters, and turn it into the epic war movie that was Lord of the Rings, which is why they devoted a whole movie to the Battle of Five Armies, which is like a chapter yeah. <laughs> in the actual book, The Hobbit. And... You know, there were several things. I mean, there were some things that I liked. I thought giving Thorin a nemesis uh, with, what was his name, Azog, the the white orc. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that having him follow them and everything and actually making him be the leader of one of the armies, you know, in the battle was that made perfect sense. That was a great way of trying to expand the material while, you know, also being kind of true to, you know, what you knew was going to happen. But there were other things we've talked about the love triangle that make no sense. The whole battle of five armies, I thought, was problematic. You've got these giant worms that you have that all they do is burrow some tunnels to disgorge the orcs onto the battlefield at the opposite end of this valley, by the way, from where they need to go. Why not have the worms burrow a little further and actually get them inside the mine? You know, (laughs) I mean... What's what's that all about? And then you've got the dwarves, you know, who show up to help, who have the high ground, which militarily is a much better position to have. And instead of waiting for the orcs to march across to the mine and attack them from behind like any smart person, they just charge down the hill, giving up their advantage to, you know, uh, face orcs head on, which made absolutely no sense either. And I'm just watching this thing going, this is just, I don't know, it's like the most chaotic mess, but it didn't even need to be there was no thought to like how this would play out it's just just throw things together and they don't have to make any sense and that that bothered me the other thing was this whole thing of dragon sickness that they invented which the the best explanation they could have given for why thorin was acting the way he was was that he had one of the dwarven rings yeah. That, that would have been, it would have made perfect sense, would have tied in with Lord of the Rings, everyone would have known what was going on if you just showed the stupid thing on his finger, and that's the thing, the one thing that the Dwarven Rings is sore on, dwarves are too uh, stubborn for him to control them directly like he could humans, but he could uh, accentuate their stubborn, or their uh, greed, was the one thing he was able to do, and that would have made sense, that Thorin becomes greedy and covetous because... You know, he has the Dwarven Ring. And nope, we're going to make a dragon sickness thing. (laughs) Yeah. That I didn't need at all. So, yeah, it was... Those were the things that bothered me about it. I just wish that tonally they had just stuck with this is a different story. I get why they didn't, but I I feel like just making it an adventure story, something more for, you know, just kids, would have hewn better to the source material and it wouldn't have felt so messy. I feel, so I watched all the Hobbit movies in the theater Mm -hmm. once, obviously, compared to how many times I saw the trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, that tells you how much I didn't want to give more of my money to it. Um, I actually just rewatched all three for the first time about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, I don't feel that they were as crappy as I thought they were the first time I saw them in theaters. It probably helps that there were several years of me between these and seeing them again. But I definitely still agree with with the whole tone thing, the pacing thing, like all these unnecessary extra little like explanations and characters thrown in. It definitely, I enjoyed the films, but it was definitely the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I'll probably watch this like maybe every other year or so and enjoy it, but never be like, oh my gosh, I really want to watch those movies again. I may have only seen each Hobbit in the, in the theaters once, but that was more so actually due to my life being an adult now. <laughs> when, the, uh, when the Fellowship and the Two Towers and the Return of the King came out, I was a teenager. I didn't have any responsibilities. I could go spend 33 hours of my life in a theater just watching the Fellowship of the Ring. That, that is true. I couldn't do that with The Hobbits. I wanted to go see each one again. The Hobbit is my favorite book of all time. It's not even just my favorite of the Middle Earth books. It is my favorite book. And that being said, I did have nitpicks about the movies, but I still really did enjoy them, except for the whole love triangle thing. That is the one part that, if you can't tell, I am more passionate about that than I am about Tom (laughs) Bombadil. I haven't yet had, I don't know why I haven't yet bought Blu-rays, because I really want to see what they did in the extended editions. So I have hopes that the extended editions are even better. I just really wish that the extended edition was also kind of the cut edition that we would remove the love triangle, but I know I'm not going to get my wish on that. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, I would have already heard that they got rid of it, and I would have bought it immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It it was my favorite book, and I was actually prepared to go in being really disappointed. Maybe that's part of why I am actually relatively pleased with those books, or with those movies, rather. 
but I don't know. I, I didn't think it deserved as much as the negative uh, hype that it got. And I am glad that they were relatively successful where we did get the really nice box set of the extended editions that I just haven't bought yet. And that we were able to get all three of them fully produced. And I don't know. I lost my train of <laughs> Yeah, for me, it's like Lord of the Rings. I really enjoy Fellowship. I felt like oh, as yeah. they veered off course more with each movie, I had more and more problems with it. But at least with Lord of the Rings, I do still find them enjoyable movies. The Hobbit is more of just the completionist in me, because I felt like it was so disjointed that it's hard to even find the parts to appreciate, because it felt very kind of random and poorly stitched together. I felt from a, from a, a production standpoint, and maybe it's because Peter Jackson had less time and everything to develop it that that was part of the problem, but it just... It felt like a poorly put together series of movies to me. Even like where the movies end, I, you know, I talked about where Two Towers was problematic there, but Fellowship I felt was fine. But I feel like the movies ended and we were like, Smog goes to attack Lake Town. End of movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I get we're kind of towards the end of the book there. But. I do remember sitting there reading or movies, and each one I was so far off on where I predicted they would end the movie. Right. But yeah, you're right. The Fellowship is by far the best adaptation of all of these movies. Yeah. And mm. I do find it kind of funny that The Hobbit is my favorite of the books, but I would totally take the Lord of the Rings movies over The Hobbit movies. But I'm still really glad that we got The Hobbit movies. And I hesitantly look forward to the Silmalarian part one, two, and three, and why does nobody ever listen to Masquerel Rob? <laughs> I think that Silmarillion would make a lot more sense if somebody, like a, one of the networks, licensed it and did it as a, like, Tales of Middle-Earth yeah. miniseries or, or seer, something like that, because they are, I mean, they're the, they're, they're like reading mythology, it's, mm -hmm. it's the, the barest details of what happened that each, each story could be fleshed out into, like, a four or five episode storyline okay. or season or something, I vote you know. Next. <laughs> yeah <laughs> netflix is doing good with a lot of the material they have so no i i agree the uh getting back to lord of the rings though well i mean i guess it applies to hobbit too but i think lord of the rings is more iconic one thing that i definitely love is the soundtrack i was just oh. going to say that <laughs> and in fact what I would say is that it really showed Howard Shore understood him in that he creates a musical language really with that soundtrack. The different locations, the different kingdoms, they all have their own instruments. And so as you build together, when different characters are together, when different nations are fighting together, whatever, all of a sudden the different instruments, you know, come in and their different, you know, themes and whatever start playing over each other. And it's, it's really, really well done. I have the uh, CDs for all three Lord of the Rings movies because those are, those are songs that I can just play over and over again. And it's, you know, it's in the John Williams level of quality, at least in my mind. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Oh, I absolutely love those. I have a soundtrack for each and every one of these movies, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And I think that him returning for The Hobbit was probably the best news that I had when he started talking about doing The Hobbit. Um, because he just did such a fantastic job developing the music for the feeling of Middle-earth. And even though a lot of the locations that they used were the same, I think if they had had a different composer, we would have lost some of that feeling that we had already established with this world. Because, as you said, he created the feeling of the, the language of the music for this world in a world that was developed to support a language. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was beyond thrilled when he came back for composing the music and granted, uh, even though I've listened to all of them multiple times, there definitely isn't as many iconic themes within music in the Hobbit movies, mm -hmm. but Oh my gosh, the bridge of Casa doom that track on the Fellowship soundtrack always just 
oh, I love that one. Yes, that <laughs> is my favorite as well. I mean, you get so much emotion in just that one track. It starts out where you can feel them just exploring around, and then it starts getting more and more intense as they get down towards the bridge of Kazadum. Mm. And uh, then you the, it transitions into the fight with the Balrog, and then you feel the sorrow of the rest of the Fellowship as they presume that Gandalf has fallen to his death. Yeah, right. when he's and really just trying to hoard the XP. Just has so <laughs> many different emotions and so many different visualizations that you pull from it without even having seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I love the whole fellowship theme that comes up. You know, every yeah. night I mean, you hear dun dun da 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 da. You know, everyone knows that. You know, I mean, and it's great. I mean, and you feel your blood starts pounding because you know something awesome's about to happen. It's also. One of my favorite things about the soundtracks were when anyone actually ended up singing. Yes. When Return of the King came out, came out and Aragorn sings that really short little, like, it's not even, I guess melody is a technical term for it, but it's kind of almost a sad song he sings. But I just felt like it, it fit the moment perfectly. And his voice actually it does well when he's singing that song too. Like his voice is just perfect for that role. But then not just that song, but also the Misty Mountain song when that was in Ho- The Hobbit. It was like, oh my gosh, that freaking nails that that poem. Yes. That's amazing. Like, and that's that part of my thing too. I, I totally agree with you both. Like, I probably would have liked the Hobbit movies way less if Howard Shore had not come back because I could recognize so- little hints here and there that I had that had impacted me so deeply when I was a teenager watching The Lord of the Rings. So it is. They are very, they were smart to bring him back. <laughs> yeah, you guys can all feel my pain. The most recent comic convention we had here in town last year, Billy Boyd, who plays Pippin, came and he sang at his panel. Um, and <gasps> I, I was unable sing. to go because of baby-related shenanigans. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my biggest regrets of that convention. But yeah, the music, man, even the, the intros for The Hobbit with the Misty, or yeah, the Misty Mountain. Mm-hmm. That might be why I was so disappointed with the films, because that bar got set real high <laughs> with that intro. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, I should have forgot about Billy Boyd singing, but man. Yeah, he did great. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was awesome that he came back to sing, too, for uh, Hobbit. Actually, this is something I didn't even realize we are going to bring up the music today, but my husband and I just went to on a trip to San Diego for his birthday mm-hmm. uh, last week. And on the way there, he was napping, and I was listening to my soundtracks, of course. And the Gollum song by Emiliana Torini came up. That's the one from Two Towers. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it hit my head. I was like, wait a minute. The first movie was by Enya. The second one was by Emiliana. The third one was by, shoot, what's her name? And something. But they're all women. Mm-hmm. And then all the Hobbit songs were all men. Mm. And I don't know... I don't think that has any significance, but the, it was the first time I'd ever thought about that. And I was like, well, that seems kind of weird, especially when like the old movies and books, they were saying, this isn't diverse enough. And then they got all women to do the songs for the movies. And then the new movies, supposedly in a more diverse age, they chose all men and male singers to do it. So I don't know, just a thought. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I hadn't noticed that myself. But yeah, no, I thought the thing about the music was kind of applicable because, I mean, I do feel like, I mean, I've watched the extras on the DVDs as well, and they talk about that, of actually the musical language, and, you know, since, you know, and trying to, you know, tie that in with the whole fact that Lord of the Rings is a literary piece about language, you know, that's woven into the culture and everything of of the story, so I thought it was nice that they had consciously thought about that with the music composition and everything and you like you hear that violin music and you know we're in rohan yeah it's really nice you know it's just it gives it like a whole other level it plays on your subconscious until you start thinking about it you realize oh yeah you know i mean those things all trigger on your mind what who we're talking about right now or what scenes we're in you have no idea how hard it is for me to not click play on my computer right now where it just pulls (laughs) up all of the soundtracks right (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I just want to start listening to him now. <laughs> and actually, one of the last times I did a reread of all the books, I was listening to the soundtracks while I did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any of you have done that yet, but oh my gosh, it can really add an impact to your reading of the books. Too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I've never done that. But yeah, I can totally see how that would work. 
especially when it happens to line up a track with the chapter appropriately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I might have intentionally just put the Bridge of Khazad-dûm on repeat, though, the entire time I was just reading <laughs> Moria. <laughs> That's great. You know, another thing that I really appreciated, though, is the casting. Because I think that, especially, well, Lord of the Rings, I think that the casting was all on point. Yes. You know, Christopher Lee as Sorman, uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf, John Riz Davies, freaking John Riz Davies. If you want a guy that looks like a dwarf in real life except for the height, that's that's a guy. I mean, he's got the stout, he's got the beard, you know, he's got that wonderful deep voice, you know, and that's perfect casting. Orlando Bloom, as much as I hated him as one of those actors that everyone thought was God's gift to acting for a while, you know, he was great uh, for Legolas, had the great build for it and everything. Elijah Wood made a good Frodo, but I think Sean Astin really steals the show as Sam. You know, I mean, as far as nailing the book mm-hmm. character. And I think all of those, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Vigo uh, Mortensen. Yeah. Was fantastic as Aragorn. I had no idea who he was until I saw Lord of the Rings. A lot of people actually who were cast in the Lord of the Rings were relatively unknown when they were cast, though. Mm. Yes, they were. As much as I do love Elijah Wood as Frodo, I still kind of do wish they had gone with someone who at least looked older. Right. No, I mean, yeah. he's definitely the one that doesn't fit the books the best mm-hmm. uh, out of all the major characters. But I feel like for what they did with the movie, he, yeah, he was, was good in the Frodo. role. Yeah. I personally wish he just would have looked older. Hell, they could have just done makeup to make him look older. No. Yeah. I yeah, it's kind of a lot of um, Frodo's kind of torment is internal. Having somebody with such an expressive face was a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very good point. It, it's kind of interesting, too. I had never heard of Billy Boyd before, mm-hmm. or actually Dominic Monahan for that matter. But both of them were so well cast. But it's kind of funny when you, when you look at the actual ages. I think technically Billy Boyd was the oldest, and he was supposed to be playing the youngest Hobbit. Right. Yep. But it didn't quite matter, really. Like, at least for those two characters. They they yeah. looked kind of like I thought they would look anyway. So I thought that worked fine. Yeah, they all look like their kids. Gimli's actor was the tallest actor, but he played the shortest right. character. <laughs> right. The CG was also on point. I am someone who prefers practical over CG, hands down. But the CG in Lord of the Rings was really good. A lot of it was distorting perception instead of creating things out of nothing. And a lot of it was practical effects, too. Mm. I mean, if you look at the behind the scenes in... uh, I remember there's a picture floating around with The Hobbit where you see the dwarves and Bilbo at the table, and then you see Gandalf at his own separate table because you're seeing it from a different angle to Mm. make it look like he is so much bigger than all of them, Mm. when in reality, he's just sitting like 10 feet closer to the camera than everybody else, and it's a pure optical illusion. They did do as much practical effects as they could, and they did a lot of clever, you're seeing Frodo from behind while you're seeing Gandalf from the front, so you don't realize that that's not Elijah Wood, that's actually a child standing there. If we're going to talk about characters and CGI, we've got to talk about Gollum and how well cast he was, and also for, at least for the time for Lord of the Rings, like how phenomenal his character looked on screen. Yeah. Andy Serkis definitely deserves credit. You know, I mean, he's had some comments recently about how, you know, the motion cap people, the technical wizards, you know, get more credit than he does, which I don't want to get into all that. Certainly it's a definitely a collaborative effort and both sides definitely deserve credit for creating these characters. But his Gollum, again, I mean, all the, the it's motion cap, so it's not a character created out of nothing. I mean, he's still acting. They just superimpose the Gollum over his movements. And, you know, it's all his voice acting, too. It did weird me out a little bit in the beginning when his Gollum sound is a cough, because what's described in the book is a lot more like the animated version, where it's just more like a sound he makes in the bottom of his throat that's more like a golem, golem, almost like a frog, you know, golem. But, uh, you know, he's like, (laughs) Gollum, you know, I'm like, that sounds like it's forced, you know, I mean, that doesn't sound like a natural sound, but okay. But other than that, I mean, the whole talking to himself... Going from being the cutesy Smeagol to the oh, the scene. evil Gollum, <laughs> you know. Oh, Smeagol, nice to master, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
yeah, Andy Circus, I think, deserves a lot of credit there because that was really good. I think it really like re-hit me again though when I was watching the Hobbit movies and the whole riddles in the dark scene I was just like god this is so freaking good like out of all those movies besides smog like I feel that's probably one of the strongest scenes in the those Hobbit movies is is those two with the riddles in the dark and that acting from both of them is just it's so it's exactly how I pictured at least the first time I read the Hobbit and at that point they had not talked about or cast, obviously, anything from The Hobbit. So, like, I was just very impressed, and I loved loved that thing so much. Yeah. Actually, I, I remember being slightly... I mean, I liked the scene in general, but I remember being slightly disappointed with Riddles in the Dark that they didn't at least show us the scene that we see in the flashback of Bilbo originally getting the ring in Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. There was some continuity thing between the two movies that yeah. I was like, oh, you really could have done better at at least making... Because we only see him like pretty much pick up the ring and then you hear Gollum screaming. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I haven't seen the first the, the Unexpected Journey since it first came out. But I remember being really disappointed at the continuity between those two, even though the scene itself was done well. No, you're right. It w- didn't match up with what they had shown in that brief little flashback in Lord of the Rings. And I mean, I guess we could take that to mean that what we saw in the Lord of the Rings was what Bilbo had written in his red book mm-hmm. of their back again. But it, it still was something that now that I'm thinking about it, I remember being a bit disappointed just at the continuity of that. And that, that's fair. That's totally fair. I'm just, um, I know we were talking about like characters and character wise yeah. in that scene. I was just like, oh, oh my gosh, perfect. I love this. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I, I think. The scene itself was wonderful. They have definitely gotten great talent to do all of those movies. And the acting has always been really good. And I think they've chosen a lot of really great actors to do it. I even just based on the fact that I loved him as Aragorn so much, watched that really kind of boring movie that Vigo did after Lord of the Rings that's blanking on me now. He was like a horse racer. Hidalgo. Vidalgo, thank you. Yeah, Hidalgo. <laughs> yes. I never actually saw it. I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> I remember going to see it in the movie theater and being like, oh yeah, this isn't this is not really all that good. But oh well. <laughs> yeah, so um you know, I mean again, it feels like I'm ragging on these movies sometimes, but there are definitely great things about it. I think even some of like the subtle stuff they put in, like they're all trudging through the snow on the mountain, and then there's uh, uh, Legolas just sort of lightly skipping on <laughs> top of the, the top. <laughs> right. You know, which again, I mean, it's just <laughs> such a nice little touch. You know, but it makes perfect sense too. He's the elf. You know, it's like he's light and no uh, ephemeral. You know, and can just sort of skip around. But I just like that. But I will say this though. Tolkien's attitude on this, because, you know, people have been interested in making Lord of the Rings movies, you know, for, you know, since the the 50s they came out. And in fact, there was apparently one made back in the 50s that was a very, very loose uh, adaptation. But his attitude was, if I can't get something that's made or that's a a faithful adaptation, at least I can make a lot of money. So... I'm sure his estate is making a lot of money from these movies, so I guess it would make him proud. So, you know, (laughs) if he wasn't a purist, I don't think I can really be uh, that much of one either because (laughs) he's the the author of the material. Even with the bits that were changed, though, you can still tell that Jackson and his team were interested in the story itself. They weren't just after it to make money. They did actually have a connection with the story and they wanted to make it something that appeased their fandom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everybody has their own personal views within their fandoms. And so obviously we see what his ideal version of it is. Stupid love triangle. (laughs) But you, I mean, you can tell when a story is made purely for money based off of a existing story versus and something like the hobbit and the lord of the rings movies where you can tell there was a genuine interest in the story as well yeah and with that you got to be super super lucky that you're working with the right you know director and crew and unfortunately at the time a lot of that like money push is usually just from the studio so that it yeah, they were pretty fortunate that it turned out to not look like that, you know? And that's why I pretty much do believe that the whole indication of Tariel, is that what we determined yeah. her name was? Yep. <laughs> that's why I'm pretty 
I, I feel confident that that is true, that Jackson didn't originally intend to have her in there. No. At least not in the role that she had. Yeah, I will say this about Jackson. He had to fight make the Lord of the Rings a trilogy. Um, the studio just wanted it to be one movie, then two movies, and then three movies. You know, he finally convinced them, though, it needs to be three movies. And I'm very grateful for that, because just imagine a three-hour movie, Lord of the Rings... I don't think we'd be sitting here talking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> because you cannot tell that story, even in a long three-hour movie. It just, you couldn't do it. It would be so different. It'd have so much cut out. I mean, even as it is, it disappoints me that it feels like Rohan and Gondor are just like, there's like one little village, and that's Rohan, and then there's like one city, and it's Gondor. When in fact, if you read the books, th there's a whole lot more going on. Gondor is a vast kingdom with lots of like city-states you know, dotted all over, yeah. they're just tied up because Sauron was sending the Easterlings against them and stuff. And, you know, there's all that side of it, that they had to cut all that stuff out just for time reasons that they didn't want to explain. Oh, yes, there's all these other cities, and we want them to send men to help, but they can't because they're tied up in their own war and everything else. And so, a three-hour movie <laughs> for all of that. Oh, they would have to cut out just yeah, everything. Yeah, it really does all the movies do kind of make it seem like the elves are the only ones in multiple cities because we do end up in Mirkwood. And actually, we never even hear of Mirkwood in the the Lord of the Rings, do we? No. We don't see it. We definitely hear it. They, I think they mention Legolas, or he says something about Mirkwood. But yeah, okay. we don't like see it. Yeah. But I mean, then we also end up in Rivendell, and I am spacing on the name for Galadriel's region. Lothlorien. Lothlorien. That, there we go. <laughs> Took me a second. I was trying to remember the Babylon 5 character. When we finally get to that Babylon 5 one, we do need to have a portion of it comparing Lord of the Rings. Oh, I, I, yeah. There are so many parallels in there. Oh, and so many um, words and names he took from Lord of the Rings, you know. I know. Kazadum, Zahadum. Kazadum instead of Zahadum. <laughs> right. There are places where shadows lie, so hey, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I always think of Lorien with Lothlorien, and I'm like spacing both of them right there. <laughs> right. But yeah, those are, and then we hear of the Grey Havens, which we also know is an elf area, and it's like, really, they do kind of seem like they're the most developed in terms of cities. Mm-hmm. Every race of people that we introduce or that we are introduced to have full kingdoms and full countries. And, mm -hmm. and I know the map of Middle Earth better than I know the map of the United States. So that's pretty sad. The awesomest anniversary present I ever got from Beth is a leather map of Lord of the Rings. This guy like burns maps into leather. Oh, I remember when she got that for you. She was so excited. <laughs> And I was so jealous! Yeah, he usually makes, like, real maps of, like, continents or whatever, you know, but that was one of the things that, I don't know where she found this online, but he, he makes a map of Middle Earth, too, and it's it's hanging right outside where I can look at it from my office. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember she kept sharing them when she first got it, and she's like, do you guys think he'll like it? And I'm like, why are you asking this? Of course he's going to. Now give it to me instead. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever saw that in person, though. Oh. Okay. Next time I'm back in Wisconsin. Yeah, you have to drop by and I'll show it to you. I'll stop by. Hey, let's see that map. Okay, see yeah. you next year. <laughs> but yeah, um, that that is the one thing. I felt like uh, the movies made Middle-Earth so small, and that is even with making three movies, uh, you know, originally for Lord of the Rings, that, you know, it seemed like you could get anywhere within, like, a day or two of travel, and it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot to Middle-Earth, and so that's why I say that it would have been nice if they had actually split each of those into two movies, but knowing how hard it was for him to get three movies made. Technically speaking, each book was two books, right. so there is yeah. a basis for that. Hmm? Well, maybe one day, like, HBO or something will license Lord of the Rings and do, like, Lord of the Rings the series, where they can actually devote, like, a whole season per book, so we can get a lot more of the story. So, I know we're, like, talking quite a bit about this, but one question I have to you guys, actually, about the whole, like, actual geographical spatial issue you had with the movies was, how would you have felt if they had put in, like, a couple of, like, like shots of like the map again to kind of see where everyone was i know that can be incredibly cliche and even campy sometimes but do you think that would have helped at all to kind of give the audience a 
bigger scale of just how important this whole journey actually was? I think they might have been able to incorporate them at least like referencing a map once in a while or giving a better sense of time progression. But then people really would be like, this movie's something but walking, walking. walking." (laughs) That's true. You might have been able to do it when they got turned around on the mountain um, and had to go to Moria. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been a perfect point for it where instead of them just discussing, do we go through the mines of Moria? Do we venture closer to Isengard? If they had just pulled out a map and been like, well, we have this option here. We're going to be very close to Isengard if we do that. But if we go through Moria, well, there's a bunch of other dangers there. Yeah. This is one of these things that I've thought about quite a bit, Brie, because it was one of the things I brought up when the movies first came out. And the response I heard from the majority of people was, what would get so boring if you had to show, like, you know, a whole bunch of different days on their journey? And I'm like, but you don't have to. You don't have to show each and every day of the journey. What you can do, there's several different things, uh, theater, like, uh, movie kind of effect you do. One is, like you say, superimpose a map to show, like, several days of journey are being shown at one point in time with, like, dotted lines for moving. Another one is you show, like, a time lapse of the sky and you see the sun rise and set, like, a bunch of times uh, to convey that time has passed and now we're showing a scene in a new location, but, you know, maybe weeks have gone by or whatever. You could show Aragorn shaving every once in a while. You know, like, he comes back up from the river, they've stopped somewhere. And Actually, he's just got. Show him do that once? Not that I remember seeing. They had the Jabba Ewan being a bad cook. I remember that. Sworn. <laughs> <laughs> it was in an extended edition scene. But I've seen them, but yeah, no, because to me that's like something. Because it's like he keeps perfect stubble the whole time, which <laughs> seems to imply that this didn't take very long. <laughs> But if you just show him, like, coming back, like, okay, we've camped, and he's coming back, he's just shaved or whatever, you know, then again, you've shown that there has been time passing. There's all sorts of could have done to show that it actually took weeks to get from A to B without showing every point on, you know, (laughs) every day of that journey. But yeah, to me, that would have helped a lot just to convey the breadth of this world. Now I'm really trying to figure out what it is that I'm remembering. It's probably a scene I made up in my head. It might be me talking to this to you about this before, and you imagined it when I told you. Because this is not the first time that we've discussed The Lord of the Rings. No. So anyway. So we are getting a bit long here, and so I wanted to know uh, if there's anything else that any of you wanted to talk about. It could be about Tolkien himself, the books, or the movies. Uh, let's start with Angie, and then go breathe and Stephanie. So is this the part where I appeal to the studio to have this split into two episodes? Is this this the appropriate part? (laughs) (laughs) To me to split it into two episodes? Split it into a trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) A trilogy of podcasts. Yes. Yes, we'll do that. (laughs) I mean, it has been almost three hours. I know. But... No, what I would say, really the best thing I can say, you know, from watching the movies and and watching the behind the scenes stuff on the DVDs is, you know, it's a real testament to Tolkien how much everybody involved in these projects really cared about the results and really wanted to do it justice and, and had this personal connection with the story. And I think that encapsulates, you know, how I feel about the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and, and Tolkien's work, and I, I find that really heartening and impressive. All right, Marie. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like almost everything... I feel like almost everything's been said here. I would maybe throw in one thing, is if anyone has the ability to ever get to Oxford, England, and you are this much of a fan, just take a moment to swing by Tolkien's grave. It's kind of, it's it's a very surreal experience if you're, you know, a lifelong fan like we are. And it's also kind of mind-boggling to stand there and just look at, look at his grave. And he's also buried with, you know, with his wife, which is freaking adorable. It's, it's just so cool to stand there and, and just kind of look at the grave. And I left a note when I was there and I basically just said, thank you, you know, for making like helping me become part of who I am. So it's it's cool. So if you ever get to Oxford, look up where to go and go there. It's it's a very good experience. Likewise in Milwaukee, I believe it's Marquette University, they actually have some of the original manuscripts stored there. I never got around to checking it out before I moved out of Wisconsin. But that might be something if you haven't done Nathan, you might want to uh check out. I'm pretty sure it's Marquette has some of them. Oh yeah, I had no idea that they had that, so that's cool. 
I don't think it was only a temporary thing. I think they do just house them. But I remember being really interested in that and just never actually getting there to do it because I don't go into that area of Milwaukee very often. Or I didn't, rather. But one thing that I kind of want to bring up on just kind of more of a comical note is Stephen Colbert. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! He is like the ultimate Tolkien nerd and I love when he goes on rants and you, they'll do a shot of the audience and you can see most of them are just kind of glazed over and laughing <laughs> just because they feel they should. And my boyfriend always shares clips when he heard that Colbert has done a Tolkien rant just in case I managed to miss it. <laughs> and Have so you- he'll come home one day and he's going to be like, okay, we got to watch this. And I'll look over at my boyfriend and he's got this glazed over look. But I'm <laughs> laughing hysterically because I understand the entire rant that Colbert's going on. And I know who these people and events that he's talking about are. And I, I love watching the Colbert show. Just ba- Both when he did the Colbert Report and now when he does the Late Show or whatever it is. that He still goes into uber-Tolkien fanboy mode. And I just I love it. Have you have you seen the clip where he interviews Ryan Gosling and Ryan Gosling yes. has that is okay that's one people need to watch too. Does this happen on right? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his mom was like, I know Colbert's a big Tolkien fan, so I want to stop with a question. And I think it was literally like, all right, Gosling's mom was like, what page does? Gandalf speak Melon for Minds of Moria or something like that. <laughs> See, what I wish Colbert would have done in that situation, though, instead of answering like, oh, he was what edition? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, the page number would be different, yeah, depending on, yeah. page numbers are different. <laughs> I have an edition of these books that have typos in them, so... <laughs> I was really disappointed that he didn't come back with which edition. Yeah, come on, Colbert. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious when, he, when it was let's stump him on Tolkien trivia. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a good fair question just because, like you say, it's uh, different. Depends on what you're reading. Yeah. I know my dad has these awesome hardback ones that they include like some extra maps and stuff that they don't come in like the paperback editions that I have. And my dad asked me not too long ago, he was like, you know, like, I'm preparing the will, and I want to know if there's anything that I have that you, like, really care about. And I'm like, those Lord of the Rings books. And he's like, really? That's all? I'm like, yep, that's the only thing. Whatever else you put in there, that's up to you. I want those Lord of the Rings books, because, uh, yeah, I, I really want to. I really want to have those. I probably would have said the same. That's, uh, that's what he read to us from, too. So for me, there's a lot of nostalgia for that. But for uh, the last thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, just a fun little story from the biography, which was when the publisher finally got the manuscript they'd been waiting 15 years for, they were like, nobody is going to read this. (laughs) It was so different from The Hobbit. It was much longer. It was denser. You know, it was a lot more serious. They just were like, this is not The Hobbit 2, which was basically what we asked for. And so they're like, we're going to sell maybe like a thousand copies. That was the original print run was a thousand. So normally when a writer writes a book, you get uh, a check, you know, for a certain amount. And then you get like a very small percentage of each book sold uh, in royalty checks. Well, they were like, man, that you know, we don't want to pay him up front with all this money. Because we don't think we're ever going to sell enough to justify it. So what they did is they made a deal with him where he got a much higher percentage of each book sold. <laughs> but no money up front. Well, <laughs> you can guess the story from there. Those first 1,000 books flew off the shelves. Second printing flew off the shelves. Third printing, fourth printing. They couldn't keep the books in bookstores. And the demand was so high. There was a period in England where the like there was graffiti for Frodo Lives being painted on <laughs> walls and stuff, you know, because people, you know, just got that into Lord of the Rings. So Tolkien became a millionaire, like, within the span of a year. 
because of just the sheer volume of books and the the fact that the deal that they had signed with him was one where he got uh a, i can't remember what the percentage was but it was something where it's a very significant amount of money for each book sold and the publisher's just thinking i've made a huge mistake <laughs> right exactly i should have <laughs> given him the normal deal and then i would be making all this money hand over fest so you know i always thought that was nice because you know it's a case where you know a guy who really deserves a lot of credit because i mean of how much he's influenced the lives of people for like 75 years almost even people who have never bothered reading or watching any of his stuff right exactly i mean he has transformed the world in many ways with his work so it's kind of nice to know that he actually did get paid for it you know he actually didn't you know it's not like creator that you know you hear about that someone else gets all the money for what they did so i thought that was a nice thing to sign off on and i would say one other thing signing off is that we talked about reading the books and we talked about their flavors and some they might not be for everybody. The Hobbit is definitely a very different feel than Lord of the Rings. It is. Yeah. So I would definitely say that if you pick up Fellowship of the Ring and you don't like it, it doesn't necessarily mean you wouldn't like The Hobbit. You might want to give that a try because it certainly is a little lighter fare and it is a little bit pacier in its writing. And only if you're hardcore, go for the books of unfinished tales and lost tales and Silmarillion and all that. Right. (laughs) I've only successfully made it through the Silmarillion once. I've attempted to read it multiple times. Yeah, I've read it twice. I have to say the untold... You know, I tried getting a lot of those other books too, the lost tales and the untold tales and all that. Untold tales is very unsatisfying because it's... No, it's Unfinished Tale. I'm sorry, it's called Unfinished Tales because those really are like basically publishing from his notebook yeah. directly. Oh, trust me, I have way more books on Middle Earth than I've actually read. I've got like <laughs> 30 of them. I've pretty much bought every one that was published, but I haven't actually read every one. Because <laughs> some of them, you start looking at them and you're like, okay, this is going to be crap. Let it just sit on my shelf with my collection. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, fair enough that Christopher Tolkien is trying to make that stuff accessible, and I get that he's making money for it, but at the same time, there's definitely interest in it. Yeah. More power to everyone who wants to know every different version of every story that Tolkien ever wrote. Because <laughs> that's a lot of what the Unfinished Tales are. It's like, you'll read a section of story, and then there's like, and in this version, this happens. And in this other one that he wrote, this, because he hadn't decided which version he wanted to go with, so he's like... You get all these different versions of the same story and how it ends and stuff, and it's like, for me, it felt that was rough going. But, you know, but more power to anyone who wants that, and if you want to understand his thinking process, that's definitely, you know, a good way to go to read through all that other material and whatnot. I support all those statements. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely wouldn't recommend anyone start with those. No, no, no. Definitely Definitely for people who like reading mythology and... They feel a lot more like textbook. Yeah. You can see he was a a teacher there, so... No, Silmarillion is very much like for people who like reading things like Edith Hamilton's mythology or something like that. I mean, it's very... You know, it's very much like a myth. You know, it's just a story of what happened. There's not a whole lot of characterization or anything like that in it. But yeah, I think we've come to the end of the podcast. So let's uh, say goodbye and let people know where they can find you. Bree, why don't you start? Sure. If anyone is interested in following along with like my own freelancing adventures and then kind of learning about my favorite geek businesses, like talk about them and I'll try to give my own geek business tips. You can find me at geekandprosper.com. Otherwise, I'm trying to get more active on Twitter. So if more of you start talking to me on Twitter, I might get better at doing that. (laughs) And on Twitter, I'm simply at Brie Brower. All right. And thank you again for being on, Brie. Thank you for having me. And uh, Stephanie, why don't you sign off and let people know where they can find you? All right. Well, online, I typically go by the name Alcrea which is A-L-K-R-E-A on Facebook you uh, Facebook and what's that other thing called? Instagram. I go by <laughs> Lady Elkrea. My Twitter is just at Elkrea. I'm also trying to get into some more streaming with Twitch, both gaming, which, hey, relates back to our five questions earlier. <laughs> I'm trying to get into gaming, which is part of why I did the whole PC build earlier in the year, but uh, gaming, streaming, as well as some cosplay streaming which I have uh, Lady Elkrea on Twitch. So basically, if you look for Elkrea, you're probably going to find me. (laughs) And I usually have a picture of my face. So 
you'll be able to tell if it's me or something else using that name. But it's usually me. Well, how would people listening to a podcast know if it's you from your face? Because my face is on the podcast page. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You can give a plug for my page, too. (laughs) Exactly. You can know my face by going to this podcast page. (laughs) I think all my places are listed on there, too. I don't think things through before I say them, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for coming on, Stephanie. No problem. It's always fun. All right, so Angie, why don't you sign off and let people know where or if they can find you. Now, I continue to be a 42 cast exclusive, but I will pick up on my internet creeping in the near future, so maybe I'll follow you. All right, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on, Angie. I don't know what to do besides run with it, so... (laughs) (laughs) You need to, like, create a new Twitter that's just Angie the Creep or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. All right, That'll be your new online alias. And so after three episodes, we finally come to the end of our Mammoth Tolkien podcast. I'd like to thank Angie, Stephanie, and Bree for talking with me for so long about a subject that I am, of course, very interested in, and I was glad that they had such interest and were able to talk for as long as we were about Tolkien, about the different writings that he had about his life. And I hope that all of you enjoyed it as well. So let me know that. There's a lot of different ways that you could do that. You can do it by emailing me at everything at 42cast.com. You can leave a review on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. You can go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can tweet to us at at 42cast. Or you can go on our website at 42cast.com and you can go to any of the links for any of the episodes and you can make comments there. So there's all sorts of ways that you can do it. I've received at least a little feedback from all of those routes at different times, but I'd always like to hear more. I'd really like to know what you think about this episode. Do you like splicing things down into shorter episodes, even if it means that, you know, we'll cover a topic over two or three episodes? Or would you rather do like what we normally do, which is one episode? episode that just covers the entire topic you know i can do it either way theoretically if we were doing one episode a week like we're supposed to you know we could get through more topics that way in a year but certainly with editing time being what it is and me this being one that i wanted to tackle because of how attached i was to it personally and also because it was a little more challenging to edit this one took me a little bit longer than it should have it wasn't strictly just three weeks It should have been for three episodes, but anyway, just let me know what you think. And also, as always, I want to remind everybody that the ESO Patreon is a thing. Yes, Patreon, the website where you can support the artists that you enjoy uh, consuming their product. I really know the best way of saying that, but anyway, you know, for, for media, it's consuming the media, obviously. So, yeah, it's your way of just contributing a little something to the ESO network. It helps all of the shows. And so, yeah, if you enjoy the 42 cast, if you enjoy other shows on the network, give that a try. You will get access to exclusive episodes for some of the shows by doing that. So check it out. And if you can spare some change, then we'd all appreciate it. I do need to post two retractions for this episode. First one is that I mentioned that there was a Lord of the Rings movie in the 1950s. That's what I remembered from reading Tolkien's uh, biography, but uh, since then I have done a little bit of research to confirm that, and actually I was wrong. There was a proposed movie in the 1950s. It would have had heavy use of the eagles to transport the characters from location to location rather than having them walk the whole time. But yeah, there was a proposed movie in the 50s that never did actually get made. So my mistake for mentioning that, thankfully it wasn't a big deal. The other thing is that uh, in her sign out, Brie had mentioned her website, Geek and Prosper. That website no longer exists. So just an FYI, that was something that she was trying to do to help geeks in their various entrepreneurial activities, but she had to fold that. So sad for that, but Brie is still around, so you can always check her out in the various other ways that she said that you could do so. So that's a wrap for our episode this week. Join us back next time when Alex Smith and Jeffrey Down from the They Create Worlds podcast will be on. Yes, it's my first time doing an interview for other podcast hosts. 
They Create Worlds is a podcast about video game history, which is a subject that I am very passionate about. I've mentioned it before in previous episodes. It's one that I listen to just to get more information. Alex does a really great job of taking things from both the very micro scale to the macro and covering a specific subject in video game history, pulling in what you need to understand the subject while excluding things that you don't, basically. So it keeps things from getting too chronological, but allows you to just understand a certain thing that he's talking about, where a certain concept or a certain game franchise or piece of hardware came from and how it all developed. So uh, I recommend people check out their podcast, but they'll also be on here to talk to me so that all of you can hear why you might want to uh, listen to their podcast. So check that out next time. And now it's time for me to check out. So as always, this is Nathan signing out. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. And now for the outtakes. And I think it probably will end up getting broken up into two episodes because I was kind of worried about this one. But thank you all for just bringing it with your passion and with everything else because we covered a lot of ground um, between, you know, uh, the books and the movies and everything else. And this is exactly why I wanted I want people who are really enthusiastic about both the movies and the books and there i know a lot of people who are enthusiastic about the movies but wouldn't be able to talk about the books at all so yeah i really enjoyed that so i didn't even get into like the bakshi movie or the interplay games that's true (laughs) (laughs) oh we we mentioned 8-bit tolkien (laughs) or late bit lord of the rings (laughs) but yeah i know we well it's just that's the amount of people who would even know what we're talking about probably isn't yeah that that one guy would be (laughs) right that one guy would be like oh man i played that i mean i used to have all the lord of the rings roleplay games so Mm. i could never find anyone who would play with me though i have lord of the rings risk (laughs) which is which is a very fun version of Risk, by the way. Oh. Like it's, and I love Risk, but the the what's cool about Lord of the Rings Risk is that it builds in a timer, with uh, the ring is going on its way to Mordor. So if you so if you're playing one of the good sides, because it's basically it's divided into good and evil, if you're playing on the good side, you don't have to take over the whole map. You just have to hold out until the ring makes it uh, to Mordor. Oh wow! Uh, but but then the ring moves randomly, though, because you never know, like, what turns it's going to go forward. It's a it's a random thing that, you know, so on certain... If the dice roll is a certain way, the ring moves forward. Um, so uh, you can go a lot of turns without making any progress, whereas the bad side is trying to take over the whole map, and if they take over the whole map before the ring, uh, you know, gets there, then you lose, or the the other side loses. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a cool variation on the game. It changes the strategy um and so i find it a lot of fun but uh yeah that's my obscure tolkien game thing (laughs) (laughs) i had i had a super cheapy um like nintendo style game that connected to the tv and it came with Mm -hmm. a sting and it was motion sensor and this was like Mm -hmm. before the connect or anything like that for xbox and this was in college so over 10 years ago now and we were at Toys R Us, and a bunch of my friends and I saw it. And, of course, we're all being college students. We all couldn't afford, afford it individually, but we're all like, let's all get this. So we all pitched in, and we plugged it into the TV in the common room of one of the dorms. And we just played the crap out of that thing. It was amazing. <laughs> now, did all of you guys see the Lord of the Rings cartoon? The, the animated? No. The no. Bakshi movie or the, like a cartoon cartoon? Well, there's the there's an animated one. Uh, I don't know. what, what are, What's the Bakshi movie? Oh, Robert <laughs> Bakshi is the director. Oh. He did a bunch of animated movies. So he did the Lord of the Rings oh, okay. and the Hobbit animated one in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Those are the, yeah, I've seen those. So you've seen it, but Brie and Stephanie, you've Oh, you have 
Oh, those are a special yeah. kind of fun. You should watch them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw The Hobbit one a lot. The uh, Lord of the Rings, because the Lord of the Rings, they split into two, right? It's like one that's just uh, just called Lord of the Rings, and then they actually have a separate Return of the King one, right? That sounds right. I, yeah. I don't remember. So I've seen those once, but the Hobbit movie we actually taped when it was on TV at some point, and so I watched that a lot as a kid um, over and over again. So that one I remember very well. But uh, right, yeah, the greatest adventure <laughs> is yet to be set. Yeah, no, I remember all that. It's how did not bring up Leonard Nimoy's The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins? Oh, the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. Yes, That's a oh, terrible God. omission. <laughs> Oh, I can do outtakes. <laughs> we should be ashamed of ourselves. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to add outtakes to the end of the episode now. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all forgot about the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I just found out about the uh, Ballad of Bilbo Baggins when uh, Leonard Nimoy passed away. Really? Was that last year or the year before? You had just found yeah. out about that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and when I, f- I found out about his whole musical career and that he wrote, you know, poetry and stuff and like all kinds of stuff, that I'm like, oh, he was more than an actor. That's interesting. Yeah, I've known about the so. Ballad of Bilbo Baggins for an unfortunately long time. <laughs> oh, um, but uh, yeah, I was uh, I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, come on! The I can't Star believe Wars that was ever made. Intersecting there, or, did I just yeah. say Star Wars? Star Trek. Oh my yeah. God, Stephanie! Oh my God, I can't believe I just said Star Wars. <laughs> okay, Bree said Return of the Jedi yeah, for I Return did. of the King. So, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of both Star Wars and Star Trek. So, but I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> All right, well, I gotta go. I promised the kids I was gonna take them to the park, and even though we've still got about two hours of sunlight, I probably do need to uh, get on the uh, ball with that. So. Right, say hi to Beth, Rachel, and Amelina, or Amelia. Why did I just say Amelina? That's somebody else's. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm confusing Star Wars and Star Trek, your kid, and someone else's kid. Are Are you sure you've woken up yet no, today, I'm not. Stephanie? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this might all be a dream, and I'm about to wake up to a call from you like, Stephanie, what are you doing? Where's our podcast? Mixing up everybody's name, can't get sentences right, said you had an STD earlier, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I, th- I think I got to know a lot about Stephanie this, this first go-around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and once again, it was great having all of you on here. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.